if you don't take advantage of this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Backyard Lacrosse Podcast, to where it all started, where we learned and perfected the game, where we would play from dawn until dusk, when all you had to play with were greasers, where you had to dig through prickers to find that greaser, where you fell in love with the game. Welcome to the Backyard. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number one of the Backyard Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gill. My background with the game is I've been playing lacrosse for almost 30 years, and in all those years I've been lucky enough to compete collegially in field lacrosse at the junior college and division three levels, as well as in the summer months playing box lacrosse at the senior B and senior A levels. I consider myself a student of the game and love talking lacrosse. I love listening to how the game has changed from decade to decade and the stories of how someone faced adversity and rose above. Just like what took a player growing up with just a backyard lacrosse net to eventually reaching the heights of the lacrosse world. My first ever guest on the Backyard Lacrosse Podcast is a 1981 Man Cup winner, a member of the North Country Community College Athletic Hall of Fame, my all-time favorite lacrosse player, and the reason why I wear number 10 my dad, Jeffrey Gill. In his segment, we talk about his backyard and his introduction to the game, his journey to the West Coast, and the opportunity of a lifetime to play for two Canadian national championships in a span of two weeks. I really love this conversation, and I think you will too. So without further ado, let's get right into part one of the interview. So we'll start from the very beginning. Um, What are your first memories of the game of lacrosse? We end up playing not with lacrosse sticks, but we were young and all we had was a stick. And we went to the trash can and picked up a tin can. And that was our ball. Of course, the one end of the can would <clears throat> be cut off. And you have to go about scooping that can up. And our goals were two sticks stuck in the ground with a Y at the top and a stick over it. And we estimated it to be a four foot by four foot, but nobody really knows. We just <laughs> knew we had a goal. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up playing lacrosse with just a plain old, either a shoe mat or an old sassafras that we cut down. Our ball, of course, was the tin can that we used. Of course, somebody had a job to go to the garbage in the field and grab what it knows up. Mm-hmm. And we were never left without our cans because there were numerous cans that were in it. But that's our my first look back at when we played organized lacrosse. And that was behind Aaron Pudry's and uh, Charlemagne Pudry's house. There was is that, Seneca is that, Road. Okay, that's where he currently lives, right? Or where he used to live? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I used to live there across the road. To, you had uh, Finn Stevens and Virginia and their kids. Mm-hmm. Up the road, you had Boy Snyder and Bante. And next house over was uh, Grant Stevens. Across the road from there was um, the Kettles. Mm-hmm. And, just, and I lived up the road probably a quarter of a mile. Mm-hmm. So when we called this game, we'd make sure we cut some sticks before we got there and you'd have uh, the kettle show up and 
Grant Stevens's boys, uh, Marty, Timmy, Chucky. Mm-hmm. Then you have uh, Finn's boys across the road. They would show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl, Adrian, Chad. I mean, there are a lot more boys, but at that particular age, that was us, our small little group. Mm-hmm. If we could have eight guys, four guys on the team, and then one in each net, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have to worry about too many pads because <laughs> all you're going to get hit with was a can. <laughs> but those are my early memories of uh, our first organized lacrosse. And again, none of us could afford sticks or anything like that. So mm-hmm. we watched everybody else that did have the sticks, and, you know, we made believe that we could perform with a tin can. <laughs> So, so who was your who was your favorite player? I recall number eleven, uh, Junior Young. Guy had a really really hard shot. Again, number eleven, mm-hmm. and I to this day I can uh, remember that number. Mm-hmm. And I got to play with um, his younger brother Les. Mm-hmm. He, he played with us when we played for Newtown. Mm-hmm. But that's who Junior was playing for, and he had one of the hardest shots around. He was just a speedster. Mm-hmm. But he was just one one hand. He was just right hand. And um, my first encounter with him on a field was just monkeying around, shooting at the net. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are four or five of his young guys watching him and admiring his moves. And he used to love to fake a pass and <laughs> see him in his would turn because it looked like he was passing. But that's <clears throat> as a person that. <clears throat> had the opportunity to travel and play lacrosse off the territory. Mm-hmm. And he just lived in a community too, up a mile block. Okay. So what was, so, you, so you're growing up and uh, this is before the, obviously the, the Gilday arena in Irving. Um, kind of what was the, what was it like to go to games at the box, um, say on Friday, Saturday nights? Well, we were just, I just lived over the hill, you know, mm-hmm. And um, you had to walk up, and of course, you know, when first started, nobody was really driving, so you mm-hmm. walked to the game, mm-hmm. and the games were always during nighttime up at the box, open box. <clears throat> I always was thankful for those that took the time, I would say, to make the box, mm-hmm. you know, keep it up, organizations, uh, people that stepped in line, mm-hmm. took a president of the organization and then put up lights and then the announcers mm-hmm. that were there but you know anticipation of going up was when you walked out of your house of course it was dark and then you're walking up the hill mm-hmm. going towards the uh, box mm-hmm. and when you went walking up there you could see the lights were on so you know there was activity up over the hill mm-hmm. and then as you made the crest of the hill you could see all the uh, teams warming up and getting ready and mm-hmm. The parking lot, of course, was the longhouse mm-hmm. ball field, mm-hmm. and that's where you know hundreds of cars would park all in that. And then the box at the time <clears throat> had a chicken wire fence mm-hmm. around the outside, so you'd have to pay a, a gate fee, and that was really <laughs> minimum at that particular time. But that was anticipation, you know. I mm-hmm. didn't get really to travel when I was eight years old, watching all of this, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I used to be able to watch all the home games Mm because it was only within walking distance. Mm -hmm. And I took full advantage of that. So when did you first start playing organized lacrosse? And and where where did you start? Well, I'd have to say probably about 
eight or eight or nine years old, I, I believe, looking back at it. And that was like, that was with the Newtown uh, minor lacrosse when that started. And we had uh, different people in charge. And I remember one of the individuals that, again, I wasn't even playing the minors, but I was up around the box and the juniors were playing mm-hmm. and Pinewoods were playing Newtown. And on the Pinewood side, um, you had Francis Kettle, big, mm-hmm. tall gentleman. Mm-hmm. And again, he had a history himself of being an excellent player and, mm-hmm. you know, for the uh, Cattaraugus territory. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and on a bench and anticipating watching the junior game. And I think I was about eight, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, just monkeying around with the sticks. And he asked me if I wanted to get out there. Mm-hmm. So he threw me a, and again, I my my first <coughs> game playing in the juniors, I was only eight. But again, I had no business being out there. I just could have got hurt. <laughs> but he gave me that excitement of putting a Pinewoods jersey on mm-hmm. and then playing for Pinewoods against the Newton guys. And they let me run around out there. And mm-hmm. I thought it was an excellent player. But of course, I, I should have learned to pass it because it, no one was there to check me over. But I, I recall as, as Francis Kettle, and again, a legend in himself, uh, allowing me to play in my first game. And again, I, you know, we didn't have Tykes, Pee Wees, and all those teams. We had uh, one midget team and one junior team mm-hmm. for Newtown. And at that particular time, I don't think I was even playing on a midget team when I got invited to play in the juniors. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, what a what a thrill! But the reality of it is, I didn't have a helmet on, and, and back then, not too many people had helmets on. But I thought to myself, I didn't have any gloves. Mm-hmm. I had an old wooden stick mm-hmm. that wasn't uh, probably about six or seven inches wide. And it was a hand-me-down that um, Elvis Thompson had an extra stick, but he said he can't give it to me mm-hmm. because you got to earn it. So I, for my first stick to play with, I had this used extra wide, which was almost close to a goalie stick, but... It was my field, my um, <clears throat> box stick that was earned by myself, and and I'm glad that at that particular time, Elvis Thompson um, made me earn it. And how I earned it was I went next door. <clears throat> again, another outstanding lacrosse player was, was Irvin Huff, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd watch me monkey around out there, and <clears throat> he's the one that invited me if I wanted to make a couple dollars. And literally, you know, I worked all day and I made like three dollars <laughs> uh, cleaning out ditches with the leaves around the front of his house and down along the side of his house. So I saved up that three dollars, and of course, Elvis wanted four dollars for the stick. So when I went up there, I had to make a deal that I would stick with it. And he sold me my first lacrosse stick. Of course, it was probably twenty years old as it is even when I got it at eight, mm-hmm. but it was something that I could call my own and I earned it by doing ditches, mm-hmm. cleaning leaves out. So can you tell a story about how you started playing uh, uh, for the senior team at age 15? Well, I got I to gotta touch back on my that first stick I got from Elvis Thompson. Had mm-hmm. I not gotten my own and earned it, I probably wouldn't have wanted to earn a brand new one. Mm-hmm. So I had my little odd jobs that were not only around the house, but up and down the neighborhood of trying to earn some extra money. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I 
you know, you think, well, what you pay for a stick nowadays, you're paying $225 in 2020, mm-hmm. $225 for a woody mm-hmm. stick. Yeah. And, um, back then my first stick when I was eight years old, 10 years old, right in there, I purchased my first stick and that was from, um, Aaron Poudry, mm-hmm. Aaron and Charlemagne, they used to make their own sticks right at their house. Mm-hmm. And I got my first hickory stick, all leather, and I paid a considerable $7 <laughs> for my first wooden stick. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked back and thought to myself, how was I ever going to save that amount of money mm-hmm. up to get my first stick? Mm-hmm. And that was the motivation by looking forward to playing that game is that everything else I put aside. Mm-hmm. And the money I saved was um, the purchase of that first Woody. Just an emphasis to go a little bit further from where you were talking about mm-hmm. my first organized play. Mm-hmm. When I was playing for the Midgets, I didn't think I was quick enough, and I didn't think I had the <clears throat> hand skills with my stick skills. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in a goalie. I was in a goal as a goalie mm-hmm. for two years as a Midget. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And that was 12, 13, I think, around, right around that time. And I was I was in a net. And the uh, old league, the NALE, <clears throat> Native American Lacrosse Association, mm-hmm. had a minor system. And I remember playing in the final championship. We made it as midgets. Mm-hmm. And Tuscarora was a final team. Mm-hmm. We played the championship game up at the Newtown Lacrosse Box. Mm-hmm. So you had the old community out. And it was a... Newtown versus Tuscarora mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> championship. And I was in a net, so I thought that was my career. Because after <laughs> after that game, mm-hmm. um, Newtown minor midgets, mm-hmm. which I was a part of, and that was the first championship for me. And that's where that next step took me was to the juniors. Mm-hmm. I played one season as a junior when I was 15. Gilbert Lay was the manager mm-hmm. for the Newtown men. Okay. And there was a just a large, large group of older gentlemen that were playing at that particular time when I was 15. Grant Stevens was the head coach. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I had been playing with Grant's boys down in the field and on the younger teams. and. Mm-hmm. Other coaches during that minor system, when we won that championship, mm-hmm. you had Finn Stevens coaching Myron Kettle, mm-hmm. and you had three coaches that coached us. So they they allowed me to pick up on my skills, and mm-hmm. unbeknownst to those that were watching me grow, and then at 15, I had this <clears throat> peculiar speed that I had a, an ability to probably run faster than most people. Mm-hmm. And again, I was only a lad at 15, but Grant Stevens seen something in me. He must have talked with Gilbert, mm-hmm. and they both brought me up to the men's team at 15, half, halfway through the season. Okay. And that was my first time playing for the senior team at age 15. So this had, what year was this? <clears throat> I had to be 75, 74 or 75. So... Who were the star players for for Newtown when you you first were called up? Who who was the well, go-to the, guys? 
the biggest guy I wanted to stay away with was from was Dennis Lay. <laughs> and again, a uh, very aggressive mm-hmm. young man at the time. And uh-huh. <clears throat> of course, really forceful. And to this day, I can always remember, I always said to myself, if I'm fast enough, he's never going to be able to check me. But you had Mark Jonathan, mm-hmm. you know, one of the offensive threats. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Jones. Okay. Great ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey White. Mm-hmm. Just the, he's the one guy that, that I was seeing mm-hmm. going left or righty, and his ability going left and right, you know, allowed him to put the ball mm-hmm. more in a more in the net. But okay. then there was Phil Jones, uh, okay. Jimmy's younger brother. Yep, <clears throat> there was an outstanding goal scorer back then, and mm-hmm. you know, someone that I grew up with, mm-hmm. and I, I I looked at those guys, and then of course the uh, all the goalies that were in the net for the years that I played. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's just an enjoyable time. So, so speaking of of going left hand, right hand in lacrosse, when did you feel you you should incorporate going left hand and right hand? In your well, I, you know, when I growing up, I watched Junior Young. He was all again. I, I admired his ability with his stick skills and his speed, mm-hmm. but he was always right handed. Mm-hmm. He couldn't go to the other side. Mm-hmm. I had opportunity to watch Casey White play. Mm-hmm. And Casey's that inspiration to me who could go left or right. Left or right. Okay. And then Davy Bray, mm-hmm. who's a all American at Cornell mm-hmm. College and then mm-hmm. for the Hall of Fame for mm-hmm. uh, at Haskell. Mm-hmm. You know, he was left and right. Okay. So he was a few years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I got to watch those two gentlemen play. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want I want to be able to do that same thing, go left and right. Mm-hmm. And I think what I had was a lacrosse box just over the hill. Mm-hmm. So when I got home from school or during the summer, mm-hmm. my activity was to go look somewhere in the bushes around that box because someone had lost the ball. Yep. And then I go look for a ball so I could play with inside the box. Mm-hmm. That had probably about four or five because I knew like <laughs> once you shoot a ball outside of a box. Yep. In the outdoor arena, it's going to get lost in a weed. So every time I needed one, that's where I would be looking for it. What was the edge that you felt that, that going left hand and right hand gave you? I was a person that had a little bit of speed. Mm-hmm. And the ground game, of course, was if you could run by somebody or, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. stay the hell away from the big uh, defensive <laughs> players because they're going to hurt you. Yep. Back then, it was all hickory wood mm-hmm. getting whacked on your fingers you mm-hmm. know your wrists your arms mm-hmm. your legs and mm-hmm. the big guys would just love to check you over and mm-hmm. smile after they <laughs> do you know and again as dennis was one of those players and then there were other defensive players that could probably really hurt you if they if they yeah. wanted to because because at that time <clears throat> it was obviously all wooden sticks and the the the, the bigger the defender the the, well, the more intimidation factor almost as well, well too, There right? was an intimidation factor up to a point because back then there was no 30-second okay. rule. Okay. You know, you could See? have the ball for minutes. Okay. Two or three minutes. And the biggest guy carrying the ball, if you were hit by three goals, yeah. you give it to the You're biggest just, guy and, then just and he'd just go. hold the ball let him yeah. go. Yeah. Um, that has changed, though. And that changed in the 70s, late 70s, mm-hmm. where it went to a 30-second rule. Okay. And that thirty-second rule meant big guys were going to get left behind, mm-hmm. and the younger, the quicker, quicker guys, you had to have thirty seconds. By the time you touched the ball, mm-hmm. you had ten seconds to take it over to mid 
midline, mm -hmm. and then you had another 20 seconds to have a shot on goal. Mm -hmm. When that happened, it changed the game, but it also expediated mm -hmm. the quickness of the game. That's where I think my attributes of being quick um, paid off. Okay. And, and also during this time, this is, like I said, mid-70s, the, the, the type of game that was played was five guys out would play offense, play defense, and then come off, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a that's how everybody played. Okay. <clears throat> that was right up to the 80s. Okay. That's where you had five guys come out of the box. You're mm -hmm. all five offense. Yep. <clears throat> but you were also defense. Mm -hmm. Once you lost the ball, you had to go back and play defense, mm -hmm. and then you'd have a line change after that. Okay. Um, I had an opportunity to when I went out west to play. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had offensive guys and mm -hmm. then defensive guys. Mm -hmm. You'd only play one side of the floor, and another group of guys would play the other half of the floor. Okay. And I think that's the, um, along with the 32nd rule, mm -hmm. that's what changed lacrosse. Okay. Made it a, a, a lot quicker. Okay. Uh, so, so speaking of Newtown, um, everybody who knows uh, Newtown as an organization knows the colors, green and yellow or, or green and gold depending on uh, probably what decade or, or who you ask. Um, but uh, are you able to elaborate on the significance of, of the, the colors that make up Newtown, which are the green and green and yellow? Yeah, one of the things that you're taught once you start playing for the Newtown organization is the spirituality of the game mm -hmm. and what it meant. And everybody that played the game, you know, we all wanted to understand why we were doing it. Mm -hmm. Not so much playing the game for ourselves, but for the spectators. And mm -hmm. I, I truly believe, believe it's a creator's game mm -hmm. where you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for those watching. The green references uh, when you go to war mm -hmm. and when a nation, um, Seneca nation, uh, years ago mm -hmm. uh, prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Again, lacrosse was one of those things that you got ready for. Mm -hmm. The green comes from the green grass or everything that's green around you. Mm -hmm. So you can blend in mm -hmm. in that preparation. The yellow comes from the dandelions, the flowers mm -hmm. that were mixed in with the green grass mm -hmm. and the green weeds and green bushes. Mm -hmm. So that green and gold would hide you a lot better. Mm -hmm. And to this day, since we used, as I was told, mm -hmm lacrosse as a preparation for war mm -hmm. and those same colors of green and gold is something that we've held on to all these years mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm very proud that uh, mm -hmm. i was able to wear the colors of the green and gold okay so you you, you spoke of before about the time when uh, uh newtown wasn't able to have a team or wasn't able to field a team um and you and a, a couple of players went up to play for uh, Niagara uh, Junior B in the OLA. Um, can you can tell the story about uh, how you, how you know how that how that all happened? Yeah, well, the um, NALA shut down, and I think it was nineteen seventy five. Okay. So the whole league, <clears throat> the whole league shut down. Okay. Shut down. So and I, I don't even know. I don't even know or? what happened. Or, okay. I just know that we didn't have a. We practiced, but we didn't have a league. Okay. So, um, Kevy Rogers, mm -hmm. um, Casey White, and myself, uh, we got to travel <clears throat> up to Niagara on the Lake, play mm -hmm. Junior B lacrosse mm -hmm. in Ontario. Mm -hmm. 
they came down. New to, Newtown's league was suspended for the year, mm-hmm. and then they were looking for extra players, mm-hmm. and that was my first opportunity uh, with the Niagara Warriors uh, Junior B program, okay. and that was mostly made up of guys from Tuscarora mm-hmm. and then Wellen and mm-hmm. um, Niagara on the Lake, okay. and that's how that team came about. So we're getting to 1976 then. Uh, it's your senior year of high school at Gowanda. Your 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 first and only season of high school across. Uh, how can you tell me if you can tell the story about how the the team came about and and how that season went? Well, you you had a lot of guys that had Bach experience, mm-hmm. but I want to touch back on why it was created in the first place. Mm-hmm. Robbie Jefferson Senior. Okay. Worked in the school system. I think it was Title Five or Title Seven, mm-hmm. but he was an educator, and he got in touch with the community here on the territory because he was also my Seneca Sachem's uh, coach for mm-hmm. football for Little League. So okay. I, yeah, so I know Robbie Jimerson Senior for a long time as a coaching mentor. Mm-hmm. To this day, I uh, still acknowledge his ability mm-hmm. and where he took me. Mm-hmm. And where I ended up, mm-hmm. but uh, he was the one that worked behind the scenes, worked with the Seneca Nation to get us into the high school program. Okay. And again, when we got into that, we did very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were more advanced teams that were already playing in it because mm-hmm. field was a little bit different than the box. Mm-hmm. But it's the stick skills that I think that allowed us to gain a huge momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had played one year, we went to the championship, mm-hmm. and Nichols, who was a private school, mm-hmm. uh, beat us in the championship. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of native boys that were on the team, too, mm-hmm. um, that were previous bat- box players. Mm-hmm. So they had that um, little advantage over us. A little bit of an advantage. So that, you know, okay. But that was a, a growing experience, thinking that, hey, there's a whole nother game. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to shoot at a four-by-four four net, now you're looking at a six <laughs> by six, six, six which is a heck of a lot the bigger. Score, yeah, the scoring just seemed to come a little bit easier. Okay, so you, you graduate from Gowanda. Um, you have your um, field lacrosse experience. If you can tell me the, the, the story of how you got to North Country and, and uh, you know, who went with you and, and, and what was that experience like? Well, <clears throat> that's a story about finances <laughs> because... College came about, and I didn't have a dollar to my name. Mm-hmm. And someone had already attended North Country, and that was Kerwin Huff. Mm-hmm. He had already been up there a year, and he was trying to recruit for the college. Mm-hmm. And of all the players out of Gowanda at that particular time, myself and Adrian um, joined forces, as mm-hmm. you would say. Mm-hmm. Um at the bequest of Kerwin Huff, who was already up there. Mm-hmm. This um, is Agent Stevens. Yeah. Right? Okay. Got on board mm-hmm. and hit it up, up at North Country. Mm-hmm. Kerwin was there this, my first year. Mm-hmm. And then me and Adrian were there the following two years. Mm-hmm. And that's where we ended up competing at that level, mm-hmm. junior college, mm-hmm. which allowed me uh, an opportunity to earn uh, All-American mm-hmm. as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought to myself, man, why do I got to work so hard to run the ball all the way up and then pass it off to a guy on a crease and then they put it in? <laughs> yeah. And they get the credit. Yeah. And they get all the credit. So, again, I got stingy with the ball mm-hmm. and then did it from a midfield perspective mm-hmm. and then, you know, earned um, All-American. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I couldn't have done that either without my fellow players and Adrian and myself. We were one, two in scoring for the uh, entire college. Mm-hmm. So we're just a couple of boys from the res <laughs> that played box lacrosse mm-hmm. one year of field. Mm-hmm. And then ended up making uh, North Country a very successful season mm-hmm. in 1977 and 1978. So, what was the uh, uh, kind of the, the side story on, on uh, playing college hockey? Well, everybody knows Serenade Lake and Lake Placid are nine miles apart. Up in that area, lacrosse was secondary, hockey was a big sport mm-hmm. all the way up there. Mm-hmm from the previous um, Olympics in the thirties. Mm-hmm. And then in 1980, they, I believe they were, they were hosting the Olympics again. So mm-hmm. when we were up there for lacrosse, mm-hmm. of course we weren't doing anything during the winter. They needed some athletes to, to play. And I, mm-hmm. I had played hockey mm-hmm. um, in high school, but not for Gowanda. Mm-hmm. I played for the town of Eden, which was a club team that was just started in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and my cousin, Johnny Stevens and my, mm-hmm. Cousin Ricky Stevens, mm-hmm. we got to play hockey up in Orchard Park mm-hmm. for the town of Eden. And utilizing that experience, um, ended up making the college team because they were looking for athletes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was an opportunity to play mm-hmm. at Olympic uh, event site. So the year is, is 1978. You're, you're leaving North Country. You, you have first team All-American. Um and the next step would be to uh, make the trip out west to British Columbia. Who went with you? And, and... I would have to reference. Um, <clears throat> I came back from North Country in '78 and '79 mm-hmm. and '80. I played for the uh, senior team for the mm-hmm. Newtown Lacrosse Organization. Okay. Our league, which Newtown was a member of, the NALE. Mm-hmm. They put a team together, which is called the North American Natives, okay, and to participate in the World Games in Vancouver, British Columbia, and that was in 1980. Okay, no, no, was there like a tryout process, or was that something where the league just kind of reached out to kind of the the better players? Well, there actually was a a process in place, and uh, other people that traveled with me was uh, Kerwin Hoff, Davy Bray, Marty Stevens. Uh, Chucky Stevens, okay, and myself, okay, that were picked from the Newtown organization mm-hmm. <clears throat> to participate with other teams, players from um, Aquasesne, St. Regis, mm-hmm. Six Nations, Tuscarora, mm-hmm. Tonawanda, Allegheny. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that consisted of, uh, again, it wasn't the Iroquois Nationals; mm-hmm. it was. The first team we competed in mm-hmm. uh, at the world level, and we were called the North American Natives. Okay. All right. Um, and, and so, and this is, like, like I said again, this is uh, 1980. Who were some of the uh, uh, kind of the, the top players? It, from what it sounds like, the, 
uh, most of the guys that were picked for that team were were all top notch. But kind of who was the who was the the, the other um, really good players that you got to play with on this team on this uh, North American Natives team? The two people that really helped us, and I can re- recall both of them. And um, one was uh, Gary Paulus. Again, he played in the pros. He was a goalie. Okay. It's Gaylord Gaylord Paulus's younger brother. Okay. All um, right. Ernie Mitchell from Aquasesne. Mm-hmm. He was the other goalie. And again, he was another one that played in the pros. Okay. You had Dave White from Aquasesne. Mm-hmm. You know, a standout at Brown and just mm-hmm. Louis Mitchell. Okay. Another name was there. Um, and again, the other ones on the team from Six Nations at, um, again, with a lot of them also having professional mm-hmm. um, backgrounds okay. in lacrosse. Okay. All right. Uh, so, okay. So, so going through the tournament, um, uh, how many other teams did you play against in, in this uh, in the World Games in, in eighty? Um, we were the North American natives, mm-hmm. and then you had uh, Australia, England. Wait a minute. I don't know if England was in then. Australia was, Canada East, Canada West, and Team USA. Okay. <clears throat> now, obviously, Canada East with all the teams or all, all players coming from uh, Eastern Canada, Canada West. And major everybody, leagues, right? Yes. All, all the teams or all the uh, players coming from uh, British Columbia. So for what it sounds like, this it was a, a really uh, high intense uh, tournament. Um, how did how did you guys uh, do in in round robin play? You know what we we're competitive in all of our games. Mm-hmm. Um, we end up playing uh, Canada East, okay, uh, in a semifinal to make it to the gold medal round, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> they had beat us previously in round robin. Mm-hmm. And in that particular game, we beat them. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought, well, here you go, Kennedy East, Canada West. That's the same thing that they had for the majors mm-hmm. and, the, you know, the top trophy up there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> They're going to do it again at the world level. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of boys off the res changed that whole philosophy mm-hmm. is that we brought something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for all the other players from all the other territories that came together. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I like to think we were just as good as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it was a mindset, even mm-hmm. though they, you know, they tried to tell us that, boy, you guys travel a long ways for nothing. And mm-hmm. my answer was, let's wait till the game's over and we'll yeah. see who travel a long ways for nothing. Yeah. And and these games actually took place in British Columbia, correct? Yeah, they took place in British Columbia, took place in Victoria on the island, okay. Nanaimo, okay. all around the uh, Vancouver area. Okay. Okay, so you guys make it to you, you guys beat Canada East. You make it to the gold medal game against Canada West. Canada West. Okay, so you're in the gold medal game against Canada West. Kind of tell me how that how that game went. We end up we end up getting beat. Mm-hmm. We got beat sixteen eleven. Uh, Canada West. Um, they took the gold. Uh, mm-hmm. North American natives. We took the silver. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it was uh, kind of prestigious for me to even reach it. Mm-hmm. You know, first time ever playing in the World Games mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then playing for the gold. Mm-hmm. But I had something that um, allowed me to take one step further and that I became the uh, most valuable player mm-hmm. for the gold medal game. 
there were two words given out. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was a player from Coquitlam Annex, which was also uh, Team Canada West. We both got the um, distinguished uh, awards of most valuable player okay. at the World Games mm-hmm. for the gold medal game. So that's something I, you know, I, I have mm-hmm. in relation to a trophy mm-hmm. that I've only I only could achieved with those team members assisting me. Okay, and it was a team effort to get that. So we get to we get through the World Games this is in nineteen eighty. Uh, then how how did the how did the trip uh, or how did the the, the invite from uh, uh, British Columbia uh, <clears throat> how did that come about? Well, one of the other organizations that was part of the North American Natives was a Squamish nation. Mm-hmm. They were one of the top <clears throat> players okay. and teams mm-hmm. um, on the West Coast. Okay. They were all native team. Mm-hmm. Squamish is obviously located in, in the province of British Columbia. Right, right, right in North Vancouver. Okay. So we had to coach from there participate mm-hmm. along with some of the players just like newton had five players mm-hmm. i think we had five or six squamish players that played mm-hmm. on that team also so they all got to see our performance and how we played together mm-hmm. and one of the other individuals that <clears throat> really stood out at that particular time was barry paulus from onondaga because mm-hmm. he was also on the team but he was representing the onondaga nation okay by putting his team together mm-hmm. well at the conclusion <clears throat> of the world games and for us to get that experience playing mm-hmm. and we had that um assembly of players from north shore mm-hmm. um myself and after the games were over um, we were approached by the organization of north shore indians mm-hmm. barry and myself if we wanted to play with them mm-hmm. uh, the following season Mm-hmm. And the plans begin to for our trip in 1981. Okay. For um, cross country travel mm-hmm. to play with the uh, North Shore Indians, okay. who were looking to obtain and gain, uh, go from senior B to senior A up okay. into the majors. And they were okay. looking to create play, recruit players, and myself and Barry were two of many. Okay, so uh, like I said, this is 1980. Um, when did the actual World Games uh, take place in 1980? Uh, July and August. Okay. All right, so uh, World Games takes place. Uh, they invite you to, to, to come out and play for North Shore, who was senior B at the time, uh, correct? And, and yes, they were looking, looking to, to go to, to, senior to senior A level. Okay. If you can start just from the beginning, like when did you guys get ready to load up? When you where you pick him up? And yeah, this day, yeah, the, the interesting story was I had a I had I had bought a brand new van in '79, '80. We went up for the again the World Games, and mm-hmm. then '81 we got petitioned to play with them. And what we did was um, I picked up Barry, who came in from Onondaga on a Bluebird bus mm-hmm. into Buffalo. Okay, and I picked him up there with my van. Is, it, I, is this this is early nineteen eighty one? That's nineteen. Yeah, that's, that's spring nineteen eighty one. April. Okay. okay. April of nineteen eighty one. Okay. And um, still snow on the ground here. Okay. And we had uh, had arrangements to meet and me to pick them up. Mm-hmm. So we crossed into Canada and Buffalo, crossed over to Fort Erie, mm-hmm. 
went up to the 401, mm-hmm. jumped on it, and headed out west. Mm-hmm. It took us three days to go out there. Had we known before we even took the trip, because we got out there in three days, but lacrosse wasn't going to start for another two weeks. <laughs> so we had an early start on it mm-hmm. and an enjoyable trip mm-hmm. along Highway 1. Highway 1 is the one that goes all the way from yeah, Highway Eastern 1, Canada, all the way, way from to Toronto, Canada. all the way over to the West Coast, okay. uh, British Columbia. Okay, so you, you, you make the trip, you, you make it out to, to British Columbia. Um, you kind of tell a story on how that season went and, uh, you know, what it was like to play West Coast lacrosse. I think the plausible answer to that is I wanted to travel. I wanted to hit out, mm-hmm. but I was hesitant. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to a story where um, you always ask yourself, what is it <clears throat> that made you get up and go mm-hmm. to drop everything, mm-hmm. leave your job, mm-hmm. get, rid of your, get rid of your apartment, mm-hmm. <clears throat> pack up your pots and pans, and then pick up another teammate, mm-hmm. and then leave the area. Mm-hmm. And I got to attribute that back to a person that said, if you don't take advantage of this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best recommendations uh, I look back on mm-hmm. that enabled me to leave the rest, mm-hmm. to leave the Newtown community, mm-hmm. to leave the Cattaraugus territory, leave your home, and then and then travel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again, it wasn't a coach. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, someone to... Um, benefit from it. It was mm-hmm. my mother mm-hmm. who said, "If you don't do it, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life." Mm-hmm. And I and I have that statement to this day, and I share that with other people. Mm-hmm. I said, "If you don't take that chance or opportunity, you're never going to know how well you do mm-hmm. or how well you could have done until after you've done it." Okay. So you take you make the trip out. You you get playing with the North Shore Indians. Um, who at the time were the uh, senior B affiliate to the New Westminster Salmon Valleys of the Senior A. Can you can tell me the story about how uh, um, or, or, or how that process went of them getting in contact with you to, to come up and play? I think our when I say our our performance as North Shore Indians, mm-hmm. um, we did we did so well in the league. Mm-hmm. They had, they had done real well even for myself and Barry got there. Uh, we finished one two, okay, and scoring for North Shore, mm-hmm. and we finished one two and scoring for the entire league, okay, on the West Coast for the Senior B Lacrosse. Okay, um, our performance <clears throat> caught the attention of the Salmon Bellies, mm-hmm. the Senior A affiliate, okay, and the majors. Okay, who was the uh, management of the of Salmon Bellies at that time, and who was uh, the coach and staff? <clears throat> Casey Cook. Okay. I remember him very well. Mm-hmm. He's the one that gave me that opportunity to play in the majors and mm-hmm. play at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the general manager at the time. The Salmon Bellies were last in the league in 1981. Okay. Casey Cook stepped up from the general manager and also took on a role as a head coach. Okay. So he took both responsibilities. They got rid of the Sam and Billy's head coach. Okay. And reorganized 
made through the season. This is all that happened in 1981. This all happened in the season so of 1981. From like May to June to maybe July, Sam and Bellies were last place. Last place. Not doing too well. Not doing well at all. Okay. Playoffs comes around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Myself and Barry mm-hmm. and some others that people that uh, Sam and Bellies brought in mm-hmm. on in that change. And Casey Cook, you know, mm-hmm. I attribute a lot to his management style. Okay. On how he had to change things up. Mm-hmm. And um, which allowed us mm-hmm. to not only play with the senior A um, salmon bellies, mm-hmm. but also to uh, play an important role. Because mm-hmm. I think of the four players that came in mm-hmm. and through the playoffs, um, we won 12 games and okay. lost one. Okay. So go from last place to turn it completely around, which, which is. If anybody knows any kind of sports, it's very, very hard to do in one season. Okay. So you guys, you guys win the league. Yeah, we, we, we won the provincial to okay, BC. And then it got we, invited to the President's Cup. Right. Mm-hmm. And it okay. was being held in Cornwall by um, Aquasesti. Okay. They were the host team. Mm-hmm. And we went through that whole process, but we only took a bronze. We got done with the President's Cup. I got invited, along with Barry, mm-hmm. to play in the Man Cup. Okay. So they flew us from. So did they call you when you guys were in, in uh, Ontario, or, or was this something that they gave gave you a kind of heads up? No, beforehand? no, no. They called us. They called us in Ontario. Okay. We were just getting done with the Presidents Cup. Okay. We we're flying out that night. Okay. And uh, Casey Cook reached out to myself and Barry and said, mm-hmm. "Once you get off, to, once you fly back to British Columbia." Because mm-hmm. that's where the Man Cup was. Okay. And it was being hosted by the Salmon Bellies. Mm-hmm. And they wanted us to participate and be on the roster mm-hmm. as soon as we got off the plane. Okay. So, I mean, who does that? <laughs> no, you know, who gets an invitation like that to yeah. participate? Yeah. Not only in the President's Cup, which is the elite for um, all of Canada, Canadian mm-hmm. Lacrosse Association. Mm-hmm. But at that same one day later, mm-hmm. now we're being invited to play mm-hmm. in the Man Cup mm-hmm. of the CLA, mm-hmm. which was being hosted by the Salmon Bellies mm-hmm. in British Columbia. So if you, if you can start just from when you suit up for that first game, kind of what the atmosphere is like, what the the the, the pace of the game is like, what, what it was like to play with uh, some future uh, Hall of Famers for the Salmon Bellies, and, and just in general, the, 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 the excitement of it. Well, the, the one point is, and, I, and to this day, I, I look back at it and I said, you know, someone gave me an opportunity. Wow. Back then, I was a young 20-year-old playing in the World Games. Mm-hmm. Then 21, I was playing um, Senior B in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And then at 21, I was playing in a Man Cup. Mm-hmm. And you say to yourself, well, how did that happen? How do you get to play in all those things? Mm-hmm. And I think it I had to <clears throat> deal with that same remark I said earlier, mm-hmm. if you don't take this opportunity, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that, and I, and I took full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we participated. We were involved in the scoring. Mm-hmm. We made a immediate um, impact mm-hmm. for the Salmon Bellies to be a part of that organization mm-hmm. and beating the other team four straight. Mm-hmm. But it was the ability to play 
in front of a packed house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was packed. But um, that facility was one of the things that I enjoyed played in. It was a reward for me mm-hmm. to reach that level. And again, that that evening, and I and I reference back to that mm-hmm. in eighty one. Queens Park Arena. Queens Park Arena. That's yes. it. Okay. Um, so that that was obviously uh, San Ravelli's, um home arena. That was where they hosted. What what was your most memorable memorable experience with with winning a man cup and and who you got to do it with? Well, there were there were guys on that team that I didn't know mm-hmm. who they were when I started. Mm-hmm. But then when you work with other teammates and other players. Mm-hmm. And you're involved. And you're involved in something. Mm-hmm. One of those players um, with the Salmon Bellies mm-hmm. in that final championship game, and I was on the floor at that particular time. He ended up taking the scoring title for all of Major Lacrosse. Okay, this and is I, game four. Game four. Okay, so man, very last game. Very last game. <laughs> okay, one of those players, and again to this day, you know. He retired, mm-hmm. but to this day, I was on a floor that enabled him to get that record. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was held for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, other great players have mm-hmm. come be um, after him mm-hmm. and took that title. Mm-hmm. But so it, it, the, the, the player you're speaking of is? Wayne Goss. Okay. All right. If anybody knows uh, Sam and Belly's history, it is a, um, obviously a Hall of Famer and a household name. Uh, and this is uh, now. If you can remember correctly, is this more towards maybe the end of his career, or is this? It was the end of his career. Okay, so he would retire. He retired after eighty-one. Okay, and he took over um, coaching. Okay, probably for the eighty-two season. Yep. Okay. Well, I would like to give my dad Jeff Gill a huge thank you for being the very first guest on the Backyard Lacrosse Podcast. My contact email address is Backyard Lacrosse. 2020 at gmail.com. Again, that's backyard lacrosse, the numbers 2020 at gmail.com. If you want to let me know what you thought about the podcast, what your favorite part was, or if you have any questions about this podcast, just send me an email. Also, keep an eye out for the upcoming official Backyard Lacrosse podcast social media pages that will be up and running by the time this podcast is available for the public and which will include news on where upcoming podcasts will be available. If you really enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button. Until next time, I'm your host, Justin Gill, and we'll talk soon. Thanks.